Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Mater et Magistra. My name is Jason Brunel, and I'll be your host this evening as we take a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But before we begin, let us start with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with your gifts of knowledge, wisdom, understanding, fortitude, piety, fear of the Lord, and counsel. Take full and complete possession of our mind and of our heart, of our intellect and of our will. Use us, use us this evening, use me this evening as your mouthpiece that I might speak the words of Christ, the truths of the Holy Catholic faith as these have been entrusted to the Holy Catholic Church in its most holy magisterium to interpret, to teach, to preserve, to safeguard. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, we shall be recreated and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by sending to them the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. And this we ask through Christ our Lord. And let us offer a Hail Mary, asking Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, Refuge of Sinners, and the Queen of our Souls, to intercede for us and to obtain for us the greatest possible outpouring of grace as she is the mediatrix of all graces. Hail Mary, full of God's grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. This evening, we are going to be discussing, um, or picking up where we left off. Um, last show, there was I got a little bit sidetracked and uh, got off on some tangents, but um, I'd like to go back and pick up on Article 2, uh, which of the creed, as it is contained or as it is um, presented in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, and this is paragraph 430. Um, actually, is that the one I want? Take a look here. I'm going to back up just a little bit and go back to paragraph 426. And the heading here is, at the heart of catechesis, Christ. So Christ is the heart of all catechesis. And this is very timely for me, because just today I was speaking with um, um, the, the director of religious education uh, at a parish uh, close by, and um, we're talking about uh, a discussion, uh, we're having a discussion about um, uh, the the millennials and the kids of today and the challenge, the amazing challenge it is to, uh, to, to teach, uh, to teach and to be, to be a, a catechist in a world with, that is fighting us every step of the way. Uh, we have the, actually the, the overwhelming majority of the children, the teens and the young adults in our program, um, have parents who do not go to mass on a regular basis, and it, I, it's, I don't think it's a, a difficult to see how that would be uh, 
a tremendous challenge um, when these kids are coming to us and they're in, these parents are, I mean, we're, we're very, very grateful that we have this opportunity to plant the seeds if that is all we do. Uh, so any, any opportunity to catechize is, you know, we, we really need to be incredibly grateful to God and to thank him for just this opportunity in and of itself um, because the Lord knows that the society that these kids are living in is, and they've all got their cell phones and they have unfettered access to things that are just absolutely horrifically detrimental to their spiritual well-being. Um, kids these days are being raised on a steady stream of uh, impurity uh, that, that they have unabated access to. It's unbelievable to think of what we're up against. Um, to know that the majority, the overwhelming majority of the parents of these kids who are, and these are just the kids that are coming to CCD, and, and, and trust me, there, there, are, there are far fewer with every year that passes. The numbers are dwindling, and I would, I, I really would, in a, in, a, in, in a couple of years, I don't think there will be any organized CCD in the Catholic Church in the United States of America. I think it will be um, uh, useless. Uh, there, there, we, won't, we simply will not have the numbers um, to, to have a CCD program. And that is, uh, and you may, if, if you're listening and thinking to yourself, well, this, this guy is really just an incredible pessimist. No, this is, I, I'm being a realist. This is this is reality, and um, and if I laugh, I'm not I'm not laughing because I think it's funny. I'm laughing because if I don't laugh, I'll cry, and that's the truth. Because that's how serious this crisis is. We are in the throes of the full blown apostasy, a widespread, full out rejection of Christianity. This is, we're, we are now living in a post-Christian era. This is the truth of the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, Our Lady has been appearing all over the world in an effort to create her little remnant faithful with whom she will crush the head of the ancient serpent, Satan. It is precisely this little remnant faithful um, who who will remain faithful, hope, well, God willing, uh, provided that God provides the grace, provided that we cooperate fully to the to the greatest extent possible with the graces that God gives, and and that. That cooperation with God's grace is itself a gift of grace. And that harkens back to the tremendous mystery of predestination and how it is that certain individuals have been, as it were, chosen ahead of time by God uh, to, to respond to the graces and this is, it's, it's interesting, just not, not to go too far off here, but this is a fascinating topic, and I encourage everyone to look further into it. There's a marvelous book written by a brilliant apologist, um, John Salza, and um, it was in, it endorsed by uh, Patrick Madrid, uh, who wrote a little, um, who wrote a little um, uh, endorsement on the back of, of, of Mr. Salza's book, uh, Mr. Salza is, I believe he was a, a, he either was or possibly still is a, uh, a legal scholar and um, had a tremendous conversion experience, if I'm not mistaken, if it's the same gentleman that I'm thinking of. And he has a tremendous mind. And um, I think a, a shortly after his conversion, or I'm not sure what his conversion so story is. I, I've never heard it. 
But if it's, if it's who I think it is, the man's a very tremendously gifted man. And this book, he's written several books, but this one in particular is a book on the, the, the very misunderstood Catholic doctrine of predestination. And we do, as Catholics, believe in predestination, and St. Thomas Aquinas talks about predestination. Um, certainly, we, this is not the Calvinist uh, notion of predestination <laughs> that, uh, or you know, the Protestant or Calvinist concept of predestination, but <clears throat> it, it is, it is a, a reality that, um, um, that in truth, uh, when it comes to anyone cooperating with the grace of God and, and giving their fiat to, to God's will, that that act, which is a fully human act, which is which which springs from which it's a, it's a fully free, and it's an act of the free it's an act of free will. Um, in order for I've spoken about this uh, previously in previous episodes, in order for a act to be considered a human act, uh, in accordance with Thomistic um, anthropology, um, the act has to be performed. Uh, with full knowledge and full consent of the will. Uh, and that is considered a, a truly human act. Um, so if I am cooperating with God's grace in, in say, resisting a, a given temptation, um, provided I didn't put myself in the, situ- in the occasion uh, and, and, and set up the temptation for myself, but say that the temptation just happens to arise and say that, I decide to turn to Our Lady and to uh, invoke her assistance and beg her to intercede on my behalf that I might be granted the graces through her intercession uh, merited by Christ to uh, overcome this temptation, to not succumb to the temptation, but to conquer, to conquer the temptation. And if I am successful in conquering the temptation, uh, that is only because God gave me the grace to do so. And indeed, it's an absolute truth that the very act of, of my calling out to God or calling out to Our Lady uh, to intercede on my behalf, that is, yes, it is an act of my free will, but God ultimately is the one who prompted me to do that. That, even though, it, so it is, it's, it's, it's like, I, I oftentimes like to explain faith as simultaneously. Faith is simultaneously a human act. It's a free act of the will. Um, it's the intellect assenting to divinely revealed truths by command of the will. So the will is moving the intellect and telling the intellect to assent to these truths that God has divinely revealed to us and that have been passed down to us and are contained in sacred scripture and are interpreted by the church's magisterium. Uh, And so if we are truly open to the truth and fully honest with ourselves, uh, we will hear the voice of Christ. Um, The sheep know the voice of their shepherd and we know the voice of Christ and when we hear the voice of Christ who is the way the truth and the life uh, we know that it is the truth and so uh, this gift of faith is simultaneously a free act of will but it's also simultaneously a gift from God, because the Holy Spirit must first prompt the will to move the intellect. Um, so really, the first act in the process of faith is made by God. God is the first mover. If we make an act of faith, a free act of faith, 
it is still God who is the first mover. And that is true not only of faith, but of every good deed that we perform. Um, so God has allowed that we should be, uh, that, we, that, that we are uh, rewarded for our good deeds and our, uh, that, that we receive merit um, for choosing the good. Um, but we would not be capable of choosing the good if God did not send his spirit in the first place to move us in that direction. And so it, it is an absolute truth of our faith that we, as Christians, as human beings, can do no good whatsoever of our own accord. The only, we cannot take responsibility for any good that we do. The only thing we can truly take full responsibility for the only things that we can really be held truly responsible for are our sins. And uh, that, that just really drives home the, the reality of the, the very sorry state that we as human persons are in, um, the radical and complete dependence on God that that... that is at the core of everything we do. We would not be capable of choosing for the sake of the good if God did not first act in us and move us to call out to him, to cry out for him, and to beg for his grace. It's amazing. But just want to uh, touch on that as I was being led in that direction. Um, also, on a side note, today is the glorious feast of St. Mary Magdalene, who is known as the Apostle to the Apostles. And it is because she, uh, within sacred scripture, is the first person to whom our Lord appeared. Uh, she, uh, very early, before sunrise, um, on that Easter Sunday morning, went uh, with, um, she went to, to the tomb of our Lord, and she found uh, the stone rolled back, and she entered into the tomb, and she saw two angels. One was sitting at, the, uh, at either end of where Jesus' body would have, been, would have been placed, would have been laid, I should say. And, um, and um, he was not there, and, and she was greatly distressed. And in her distress, uh, she... she walked out of the tomb and um, she saw a man and it was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. And she thought he was the gardener. And she asked him, please tell me, if you, if you have moved my Lord, please tell me where you have placed him so that I may take care of him. Um, and Jesus simply called out her name, Mary. And in that moment, she recognized, she, she, she understood that it was Jesus. And she, she replied, Rabboni, Rabbi. And she went to embrace him, to hug him. And he, he asked her, please do, do not touch me as I have not yet ascended to my Father in heaven. Which is a very fascinating, very mysterious uh, reality. So this this was our uh, the risen Lord with his glorified body, and in every incidence throughout the Gospels, throughout the four Gospels, where the risen, glorified Christ appears um, to to whomsoever his apostles, to Mary Magdalene, to uh, to the uh, the two uh, individuals who are um, walking and talking about all the events and, and Jesus caught up with them. No one recognized Christ until, well, usually it, was, it wasn't until the breaking of the bread. When Jesus broke bread uh, with the two men who were walking, 
they invited him to, 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 to dine with them. And it was only when he took the bread and broke it and said the blessing that they recognized that the man that they had been with the whole day who had been preaching scripture to them and going through the entire scripture and explaining how all of these Hebrew scriptures pertained to Jesus and how they really prefigured Christ. All these Moses was was a, a type of Christ and Abraham was a type of Christ and all of these people throughout scripture were, 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 were types of Christ and were foreshadowing Christ and how the events foreshadowed uh, the, the events of, uh, or I should say, the event of the Passover of the Jews um, and Moses leading the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, um, was basically prefigured our Lord leading, leading the people out, leading us out of our slavery to Satan and sin and um and just and, and the crossing of the waters was passing through the waters of baptism and just explaining all of the typology in sacred scripture and they said that their hearts when when Jesus disappeared after he had broken the bread um and they recognized him he disappeared and they said did not our hearts burn within us as he broke open the word as he explained these scriptures to us and how they prefigured his um, his life and, and his his ministry, um, but it really is a marvelous feast day, a feast of Saint uh, Mary Magdalene, who our Lord uh, exercised. He cast seven demons out of uh, Mary Magdalene. Um, she was a prostitute um, in her former life prior to her conversion. And uh, she was caught, and uh, and she was about to be stoned, um, and that was the that was actually the uh, the punishment uh, for being caught in the act of adultery. Uh, the, the woman the woman was stoned to death, and our Lord was there, and He saved her life by pointing out the hypocrisy. Uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Um, and slowly, one by one, the men dropped their rocks and walked away. And um, I think it's so important that we keep that in mind when we are tempted to judge our brothers or sisters and to remember that but for the grace of God, there go I. And there are a good many of us who have indeed been in those situations. Um, my conversion story is—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 uh, it's more of a—I have a roller, a roller coaster conversion story. Um, it's. Um, it's back and forth, back and forth, um, kind of thing, but. Again, I am, I'm just, as our Lord says, that those who are forgiven much are deeply grateful and, 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 and they love much. And, that, and there, there's a lot of truth to, to that. There, there, well, of course there is. <laughs> our, our Lord said it. <laughs> um, but the, the greater the debt forgiven, the deeper the gratitude and the deeper the love and it's it's just amazing how loving and forgiving God is. It it's just amazing how kind, how generous. But um, but getting back to Christ as the heart of catechesis, and this is paragraph four twenty six. At the heart of catechesis, we find in essence a person the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the only son from the Father, who suffered and died for us, and who now, after rising, is living with us forever. 
To catechize is to reveal in the person of Christ the whole of God's eternal design, reaching fulfillment in that person. It is to seek to understand the meaning of Christ's words and deeds, his actions and his words, and the signs worked by him. Catechesis aims at putting people in communion with Jesus Christ, for only he can lead us to the love of the Father in the Spirit and make us share the life of the Holy Trinity. It is only through Christ that we can have the possibility of salvation and participation in the Trinitarian divine life of God, the divine family life of God. Paragraph 427. In Catechesis, Christ, the incarnate Word and Son of God, is taught, everything else is taught with reference to him. So this is key. In Catechesis, Christ, the incarnate Word and Son of God, is taught. Everything else is taught with reference to Christ. And it is Christ alone who teaches. Anyone else teaches to the extent that he is Christ's spokesperson, enabling Christ to teach with his lips. Every catechist should be able to apply to himself the mysterious words of Jesus. Quote, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So when I'm catechizing, I must say to myself, to my Lord, and to my pupils, it is not I who teach, but Christ who teaches through me. My teaching is not mine, but rather his who sent me. So important for us to be aware of that. Whoever is called to teach Christ must first seek the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He must suffer the loss of all things or be willing to suffer the loss of all things in order to gain Christ and be found in him and to know him and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, he may attain the resurrection from the dead. We must be willing, those of us who are teaching Christ, those of us who would dare, dare to catechize and who have the obligation to catechize, must be willing to suffer the loss of everything. We must reflect and put on and live Christ to the greatest extent possible. We must allow Christ to live in us, and we must live in Christ. And we will do that if we, if we believe, if we make an act of the faith, which is an ongoing reality. If we, he, so we, we, we know that he, okay, as, as Christ says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Okay, so, so faith and baptism are required for salvation. What else is required for salvation? Um, well, we know that our Lord said, unless you eat the, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life within you. So it is necessary that we receive our Lord truly present in the Most Holy Eucharist at least once a year in, uh, in accordance with our, what they call our Easter duty. Um, um, this uh, was more so for, uh, I think, in, in, in days gone by when, when, when Christianity was, uh, was indeed the way of the world and Christendom was in full swing, and, and the church was very well respected. Um, uh, there were certain individuals out there who, uh, uh, particularly, I'm, I'm thinking in particular of um, the Jansenists, um, who 
against whom, for instance, St. Louis de Montfort uh, preached and taught uh, that, that they, the Jansenists tried to spread this notion that, um, that we are far too sinful uh, in our fallen human nature to even think about approaching our Lord in Holy Communion. And uh, that uh, they, went to, they, went, they went to the extreme uh, that, that, that they were so afraid of committing the sin of, of, um, of sacrilege uh, that it was encouraged. They are pe- people who bought into this, this, this heresy of Jansenism promoted the idea of, of abstaining from the Holy Eucharist uh, because uh, it was the, the Jansenist heresy that led people to believe that, uh, that they, were just, they were simply too sinful uh, and, and that it was practically impossible for a human person to receive Holy Communion worthily. Um, even if you had just gone to confession, um, <laughs> so just a very, an incredibly uh, pessimistic view of our Lord's mercy, of an, in, an incorrect and erroneous view of our Lord's infinite mercy. Um, his mercy is infinitely greater than the worst sin we could ever commit. Um, uh, and provided that we are truly sorry for our sins, provided that our contrition is earnest and true, his mercy will always overcome any and all sin. Christ wants nothing more than to be united to you. He wants nothing more than to receive than to be than to be received by you in Holy Eucharist. He wants to commune with you infinitely more than you desire to commune with him. And even when you grow in holiness and, and become a great saint, your deep, earnest desire to be fed and nourished by our Lord will never match his desire to feed you, his desire to commune with you. Our God loves us so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. And as St. Paul says, I, and it's in the, in the Old Testament as well, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has in store for those who love him. We cannot even begin to fathom what awaits us in the next life if, if we accede to our Lord's request to live a life in accordance with the commandments um, as as the Apostle John in, in, his, uh, in, in his letter uh, in the book of John states, um, how, how do we know that, uh, that Christ lives in us? How do we know uh, that we share in the love of Christ? We know if we, if we keep his commands, we, we must live in accordance with the, with the commandments of God, to know that we love God. So to, to be sure that we love God and that God lives in us and that we live in him, we must simply, very honestly, assess ourselves, take a moral inventory of ourselves, to determine the extent to which we are living in accordance with his divine will as it is expressed in the commandments, which ultimately are his perfect law of love, to love God over and above all things, to love your neighbor as yourself, and as Christ took it a step further, to love, to love one another as he has loved us. So to lay down our lives, for our brothers and sisters, to be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If we want joy, if we want lasting happiness and joy, we must follow the acronym J-O-Y, to love Jesus first, others second, and yourself last.
Christ came not to be served, but to serve. In fact, his service was the greatest service ever rendered to any human being and to all human beings who would ever live. He, lay, he, the eternally begotten Son of God, the incarnate Word, who entered into space and time and lived amongst us, who catechized us, who brought the Father's revelation of himself to its completion and its fulfillment. This Jesus Christ laid down his life that we might have life and have it abundantly. And he took it to the extreme of laying down his life for us. He served us to the greatest possible extent because as he himself stated, greater love no man has than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that is precisely what he did for every single one of us. And moreover, he said, I do not call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is about. I call you friends. And this is what he did for his friends. Greater love no man has than to lay down his life for his friends. And this is how Christ served us in the greatest possible capacity. He laid down his life for every single one of us. Whether or not we subjectively dispose ourselves to receive the grace that he objectively merited for us, the grace of, 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 of redemption, the grace of, of justification, um, that, is, that is up to us. We must, God is waiting for us to respond. Will we give? our fiat, to him in imitation of Our Lady who gave her unconditional fiat to the Archangel Gabriel when he announced to her that God was calling her to be the mother of his eternally begotten son who was to enter into the world and fulfill the long written prophecies regarding the coming Messiah now, getting back to our catechism. Christ is at the center of catechesis, and any, anything else that is studied or that is preached is, in, is, is taught in relation to Christ, in reference to Christ, who alone teaches. It is only Christ who teaches through us. Christ has no body now but yours, no legs, no feet on earth but yours. Um, we are the hands of Christ. We are the feet of Christ. We are the. So we, we must allow Christ to live in us, and we must live in Christ, and we must carry his message to every part of the earth. We must provide the opportunity for every single human person to hear the word of God, to hear the truth of Christ's saving mission, to hear the good news that the Father has sent his only begotten Son into the world to save us from our slavery to sin and to, to Satan, to set us free from our slavery to ourselves and to our unruly passions, our slavery to concupiscence, to be set free from our vices, from our temp from our, our from the threefold enemy of our souls, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, from this loving knowledge of Christ springs the desire to proclaim him. If you know Christ and have experienced, as he says, to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, those who have tasted those who have had the opportunity of experiencing the love that God has for them cannot help but to want to proclaim it from the rooftops because it's, it's so unbelievable. 
It's so beautiful. It's 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 so incredible. It's the truth. Number one. Uh, number two. It, it, I I can't even fathom trying to live my life without Christ. It it, it it's it just life without Christ is impoverished. It is impoverished. And and I realize that, you know, of course we we at Second Vatican Council issued a document on religious liberty and the need for uh certainly insofar as insofar as faith must necessarily be a free act of the will and which necessarily precludes any possible coercive attempt by anyone to force people to uh, accept Jesus Christ as was the case uh, back in the uh, the time of the Spanish Inquisition. Of course, we had uh, a a very misguided uh, attempt to, um, to kind of cajole people into making an act of the faith. Um, uh, and I think at that time in, in human history, there was just far too much um, worldliness in the church. Um, um, the church was, in my, in my humble opinion, going beyond her purview of expertise um, certainly the church is to uh, preach uh, it is it is it is the the role of the church to preach in matters of faith and morality but um, to acquire land and and material goods and what have you um, well, to a certain extent, certainly those things are necessary uh, for 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 uh, an organized church to exist. Um, but uh, it's it's a it's it's a complicated issue. The role of the extent to which the church ought to be um, involved in the uh the governing of peoples um it's a very it's it's a very interesting issue i'm i'm going to stay away from that <laughs> i'm going to keep myself away from that one um and i'm going to launch into properly article 2 uh of the uh creed and in jesus christ his only son our lord so let us take a look at that as it is found in the catechism Um, First, Jesus, in uh, paragraph 430. Jesus, the name Jesus, means God saves in Hebrew. Um, At the Annunciation, the the Archangel Gabriel gave him the name Jesus as his proper name, which expresses both his identity and his mission. His identity as the Savior and his mission to save the people to save us from our sins and from our slavery to sin and to and our slavery to Satan. Since God alone can forgive sins, it is God who, in Jesus, his eternal Son, made man. It is God who will save his people from their sins. In Jesus, God recapitulates all of his history of salvation on behalf of man. Um, the, the word recapitulate means basically to, to I'm sure you've heard of the word recap, um, to, um, to basically, um, to, 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 so we might say that in Jesus, God uh, sums up and highlights the, the most salient, the, the, the most uh, salient aspects of all of his history of salvation on behalf of men. Um, and then moving to paragraph 431, in the history of salvation, God was not content to deliver Israel out of the house of bondage, 
by bringing them out of Egypt. He also saves them from their sin. Because sin is always an offense against God, only God can forgive it. For this reason, Israel, becoming more and more aware of the universality of sin, will no longer be able to seek salvation except by invoking the name of the Redeemer God. So, again, here, in the history of salvation, God was not content to deliver Israel out of the house of bondage, to bring them out of Egypt. He also saves them from their sin. And this is the point of departure, or this, I should say, this is, this is where Jews and Christians part ways. This is uh, precisely where um, the Jewish tradition that continued on maintaining and, and, and maintaining all of the practices, the traditional practices of, of, of ancient Judaism, um, this is where they parted ways from those Jews who had indeed accepted Christ, um, those Jews who saw and understood the, the truth that Christ was the long-awaited Messiah. Christ fulfilled every single one of the uh, messianic prophecies. Um, and there are hundreds of them. Actually, I, I'm not sure the exact number, but I know that there are at least 600 some odd prophecies in, in the uh, Old Testament that pertain specifically to Jesus Christ and are perfectly fulfilled in the life, in the person, and in the mission of Jesus Christ. So God was not content simply to save Israel from their slavery in Egypt. He wanted to save them from their slavery to sin. And he does that, and he did that in Jesus Christ by sending his only begotten Son. The name Jesus signifies that the very name of God is present in the person of his Son, made man for the universal and definitive redemption from sins. It is the divine name that alone brings salvation, and henceforth all can invoke his name. For Jesus united himself to all men through his incarnation, so that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the name above all other names. It is the name of the Savior God. It is the name of the Messiah who came to set his people free, free from sin and from the natural consequence of sin, which is death. And not just death, but the, the second death, eternal death, hell, the, the punishment for sins that have not been forgiven. 433, the name of the Savior God was invoked only once in the year by the high priest in atonement for the sins of Israel after he had sprinkled the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies with the sacrificial blood. The mercy seat was the place of God's presence. When St. Paul speaks of Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood, he means that in Christ, humanity I'm sorry, he means that in Christ's humanity, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So when St. Paul speaks of Jesus um, when St. Paul speaks of Jesus um, putting forward an expiation by his blood, he means that Christ in his humanity was reconciling the world to himself and to his Father. Um, St. Paul's explanation of redemption is absolutely magnificent. Um, 
I encourage all to to read the letters of St. Paul, who is a masterful theologian. He's uh, just tremendously gifted. He was given such an output of the Holy Spirit to understand at this uh, key time, and this key time in the church's history, um, this earliest period in church history. That, uh, and he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, uh, so, so it's 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 very interesting that he brings such a wealth of knowledge. Um, uh, he was uh, Saint Paul was prior to uh, his conversion, which was a, a lightning bolt, uh, literally knocked off his horse uh, and blinded uh, by, and, and Christ literally spoke to him uh, after having knocked him off of his horse. Um, saw, saw, why do you persecute me? And his name was Saul. It was changed to Paul. And um, Saul said, well, who, who, who is this that I am persecuting? And our Lord said, it is, it is Jesus Christ. And Christ was identifying radically with his followers, so much so that St. Paul later, after he had undergone his conversion, after he had become Christian, and after he was baptized and confirmed and fully received into the church, became the most powerful uh, apostle in terms of his teaching and his, and his theological understanding of how Christ redeemed humanity based on his wealth of knowledge as he had been, as a Jew, he, he was a, uh, a very well-educated uh, member of the teaching, the, the, the teaching class. Um, and so he was able to explain in great detail and, and really understand how Christ was in truth fulfilling all of these uh, Jewish rituals which had been practiced practiced since the beginning of, of, of Judaism and how they all ultimately um, reached their culmination and perfection and, frui- and came to fruition in Christ Jesus and how in Christ's life in Christ's mission, in his words, and in his deeds, Christ in the New Testament, or I should say everything that occurred in the New Testament, everything that is explained and, and, and recorded in the New Testament, sheds light uh, on, on, the, the Jew, and the, on the Jewish traditions that are contained in the Old Testament. Um, just as it is said, um, the New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is made manifest in the New. So, as a Jew, the as a Jew, Saint Paul, uh, or having having lived as a, as a as a very uh, very well educated Jew of his day, he was capable that much more capable of of understanding how Christ brought these Jewish um, traditions and practices uh, to fulfillment in himself and how the New Testament was really hidden in the old and how knowledge of the Jewish practices and rituals were brought to their fulfillment in Christ. And in paragraph 434, we have Jesus' resurrection uh, glorifies the name of the Savior God, for from that time on, it is the name of Jesus that fully manifests the supreme power of the name which is above every other name. The evil spirits fear his name. In his name, his disciples perform miracles, for the Father grants all they ask in this name. This is tremendous power. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Demons can be cast out and are cast out of persons in the most holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of his precious shed blood. 
This is the practice of deliverance in Christ, through Christ, with Christ, by Christ. The name of Jesus is at the heart of Christian prayer. All liturgical prayers conclude with the words, quote, through our Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. The Hail Mary reaches its high point in the words, quote, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, unquote. The Eastern prayer of the heart, the Jesus prayer, says, quote, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, unquote. Many Christians, such as St. Joan of Arc, have died with the one word, Jesus, on their lips. The word Christ comes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, which means anointed or the anointed one. It became the name proper to Jesus only because he accomplished perfectly the divine mission that Christ signifies. In effect, in Israel, those consecrated to God for a mission that he gave were anointed in his name. This was the case for kings, for priests, and in rare instances, for prophets. This had to be the case all the more so for the Messiah whom God would send to inaugurate his kingdom definitively. It was necessary that the Messiah be anointed by the Spirit of the Lord at once as priest, at once as king and priest, and also as prophet. Thus, Jesus fulfilled the messianic hope of Israel in his threefold office of priest, prophet, and king. And we when we are baptized into Christ's mystical body, become sharers or participants in this threefold mission of Christ. We participate in his threefold function as priest, prophet, and king. Uh, we are priests to the extent that uh, we offer spiritual, the spiritual sacrifices of our prayers, our works, and our sufferings uh, in union with our Lord's perfect offering of himself, which is renewed, it, well, it is, we, we offer our prayers, our works, our sufferings, uh, through, with, and in our Lord's perfect offering of himself in the once-for-all offering, which took place some 2,000 years ago on Mount Calvary, but which is renewed in every holy mass that ever has been, that is being, or that ever will be offered to God the Father in a profound and unceasing act of adoration, of glorification, of gratitude, expiation, and, supp and supplication. And I think of that acronym, uh, the acronym the, for the, the, the various types of prayer. The Eucharist is the supreme act of adoration, it is the supreme act of glorification. It is the supreme act of gratitude. It is the supreme act of expiation or atonement. And it is the supreme act of supplication. And that spells out A, G, two Gs, E, S, ages. So the Mass is the prayer of the ages. It is the prayer of all ages. It is the self-same sacrifice of Christ 2,000 years ago on Mount Calvary, which transcends both space and time, it is the very same sacrifice. It's not being, it is, it, it's being represented. It is not uh, again being, pre, it, it, it's not a, it's the same sacrifice being made present on the altar where the priest is acting in the person of Christ, in persona Christi, and where we, as members of the baptized, uh, as, as baptized members of the body of Christ, are called to exercise our participation in the priesthood of Christ uh, to the extent that it is proper for the laity. Um, granted, the ministerial priesthood of the presbyterate of the holy priesthood of Christ, the ministerial priesthood of Christ, is it, it differs in both essence and degree. Uh, and so there is a, a fundamental difference 
and it is at the service of the common royal priesthood of all the baptized, enabling us to offer our spiritual sacrifices. So you might say that our, or the exercise of our priesthood is contingent upon the exercise of the ministerial priesthood. Uh, and uh, the ministerial priesthood, you might say, is at the service of the common royal priesthood of all the baptized. Uh, we are called to be prophets with Christ insofar as we are called to proclaim the good news of Christ, uh, just as Christ uh, declared that his kingdom uh, was his kingdom was upon us uh, to, to declare that the kingdom of Christ has come uh, on earth. And, and, and this is precisely what the church is. The church on earth is the, the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. Um, but this is the era of the sun. The, the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the God gave rise to the Jewish people. Um, and uh, it was through the Jewish people that our Lord promised uh, a Messiah would come and would save not only the Jews, but all the nations. Uh, the, but the Jews were the chosen race. They were the chosen people. And it would be from the Jews that the universal Messiah would come. And that was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came. He was of the Davidic line. Uh, Jesus, it was it was it was prophesied that the Savior would uh, come from the line of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, the name Bethlehem means house of bread, uh, and that when you when you realize that, that's uh, of tremendous significance in terms of Christ as the bread of life, um, who states, "Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and died." I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood will have life eternal, for the food that I give is my flesh for the life of the world. Um, that is the uh, truth. So priest, prophet, and we participate in the kingship of Christ, which is a kingship of servitude. We must serve the rest. Um, Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And he did so by laying down his life for every single human being that ever lived, that is living, and that ever will live. And we, too, must emulate and imitate that perfect love that Christ manifested by becoming willing, be, being so imbued with God's own life and love, with his own grace and mercy, that we are transformed and allow him to live in us that we might decrease so that he might increase, that we might be so fueled by the love of God as to imitate our Lord and Savior and to lay down our lives for the, for the, for the well-being and the love of our brothers and sisters. Um, well, this is our and Thank you for listening this evening. Um, I pray that our Lord will bless you most abundantly as you go out to spread his message. May you be inspired by the Spirit to proclaim from the rooftops and in all of the various circumstances and situations of your life the truth of Christ's saving and redeeming power, that he has come to set us free from sin, that he has come to set us free from slavery to our slavery to sin, and that he has come that we might have life and have it abundantly to the full, that we might live ultimately for him, through him, with him, and that we might recognize the exalted vocation that we have to participation in the very divine Trinitarian life of God through, with, and in Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, 
and bring us to life everlasting. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.